Speak Easier podcast by The Unmistakables. Welcome to the diversity conversation that everyone can learn from. We interview guests from the world of business, culture and arts about the work they're doing to make the world a more inclusive place. I'm Asaz. And I'm Ben. And this week we're speaking to Elliot Ray. Now, I first met Elliot on the radio a few weeks ago. We were both doing an interview for Father's Day and we were talking about what it's like to raise uh, mixed race children and, and black children. Elliot is the father of a little girl and he also works for the government. It was really, really interesting hearing his story actually because he came on to talk about his website, musicfootballfatherhood.com, which has been described as the dad's version of Mumsnet. But when we spoke afterwards on the phone, it transpired that he actually worked for the government running uh, and was head of something called Project Race that looks at how to improve the representation, performance outcomes and engagement of BAME colleagues within the organisation he works in. So I just thought, um, what an interesting person to get into the conversation. We also spoke later on, I joined a panel about raising mixed race children and parents from all over the world dialed in. So I just thought he'd be a really great guest for this week's Speakeasy. Yeah, well, I think I'm looking forward to chatting to him. We did hear him on your radio segment. So it's a privilege to be towards him now. So let's get into it. Making diversity everyone's business. So here we are with Elliot Ray. We're really pleased to have you on the episode this week. Maybe could you tell our listeners a bit about who you are and, and what it is that you do? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Really appreciate uh, the invite. So my name is Elliot Ray and I wear a few hats. I think my my most difficult hat is a dad, a dad of one a little daughter who's actually gone back to school now. So I don't know what to do with myself. I've got the whole day and the house is quiet. So uh, yeah, it feels like a new, a new era. So dad of one, I also am the head of a race program in central government. And I'm also the founder of Music Football Fatherhood, which is a, a parenting and lifestyle platform for men. So yeah, normally busy, busy, but all good stuff. I dedicate my life to to things that I believe in, which is equality, really interested in the intersection of fatherhood and race and gender. So a lot of my work I do in, 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 my, in my different hats is all to do the same thing, really, which is quite convenient where they cross over quite a lot. But yeah, really passionate about change, about kind of social justice and ultimately taking responsibility for you know creating what we want to see in the world and not seeing the big problems as too big, breaking them down into bite-sized bits um, and all us doing something that is valuable to, to society. Wicked. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Elliot. You're one of those slashies that we love, like someone who's got lots of different things going on. And I think Ben and I can um, totally appreciate and understand that. So let's start with your day job, right? So you look at race and race relations, which... I guess you've been, I saw on your LinkedIn, you've been doing for over two years now. Um, and what we've seen in the last couple of months is a real boost and rise in heads of DNI and that kind of role. And you're someone who's been looking at race for a long time. So, how does your role differ to someone who is uh, head of DNI? So, my role is predominantly just on race. It's just on race. So, obviously, we, we consider intersectionality and we do look at, at that piece as well. But, you know, across many organizations, when you look at a lot of data in terms of protected characteristics normally not all the time but you know nine times out of ten you will see that when it comes to race and ethnic minorities they will usually be near the bottom when it comes to performance management outcomes you know representation at senior levels success rates at, at interview and recruitment um, engagement so so i think what we did in, in our organization is really identified the fact that we need to have 
specific uh, resource targeting just this problem. So we have, you know, a DNI team that looks at all characteristics, but I think race is quite a specific characteristic and challenge to tackle as well, and does need people that can play a role that understands and can connect to the people in the organization on a grassroots level, on a human level, um, but can also talk to very senior people and, and champions and, and permanent secretaries. And I think getting that, that balance is, is really key to executing this work properly. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging job. It's definitely been you know, the job that I, I love it, but it's been a real challenge. I've learned so much. Some days I love my job. Some days I hate my job. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking, is this worth the stress? But it's one of those things where ultimately, you know, I do, I wake up every day thinking, actually, I'm doing something really valuable here. And I have a responsibility as well, a big, big responsibility to people. And that is, that is quite a big burden to carry when um, people have been hurting for, for, for a while and you're there to, to try and make that better. Elliot, this to us, I think certainly sounds like a, it's quite unique because we're used to working with people that have either been, you know, thinking about diversity and inclusion for some time or have just started on that journey. But usually things are grouped, you know, so maybe a head of DNI, there might be networks within an organization, but a head of DNI or whoever's responsible for it will be concerned about sexuality, age, gender, race, all of these things. And then within race, you've got you know, groupings within that. Is this normal for, in government to, to, to pull it apart and for, for someone to take such a specific role? So we were quite early, but it's becoming, it's becoming more normal. I think, you know, with what's happened with the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement, I think it's become a priority. And, you know, the stories I'm sure you, you guys have heard people telling, we haven't necessarily heard that depth of story of personal stories being shared, been in many, shared many conversations where there's been tears. And we had tears before, but there's been a lot more tears over the last couple of months. And I think that realization that this has to be a priority if we're going to address it, and there needs to be um, you know, specific expertise and a specific unit to address that, means that I think it's gonna become even more the norm, you know, inside and outside government now. Whether that is that, you know, within a DNI team you have people specifically responsible for race or you have a unit outside of that completely I think is up to how the organization is is structured but I think the power of having a separate unit that, that sits a little bit outside is that you don't have some of the bureaucratic processes to go through and you can challenge at a higher level without having to go through so many people and so when you say challenging conversations I guess in a place like government there must be very challenging conversations on um, what you can and can't say, how to navigate your way through it. And I think many people working in larger organisations are doing these listening exercises that you're mentioning, like really hearing and airing stuff out. And I find it quite fascinating because we're able to do it given we're all sat at home with our computer screens and perhaps the dynamic is different than if it were if everyone were in an office and we'd be picking up other cues like body language, we might be picking up busyness that we're not picking up now. What what have you learned from the listening exercises you've done? And I ask that as a pointed question as you're a black man. So how have you how have you felt within these questions and, and within 
these exercises as well? Yeah, it's a good question. I think um, so. For me, it's not it's not necessarily new. I mean, a core part of our work is is um, facilitating these conversations. We've been doing what we call let's talk race workshops, where we talk about you know microaggressions and and relationships and language and white privilege and, and that sort of stuff. So we've been we've done one hundred and one over the last I'd say twenty months, and that was up until kind of lockdown. So I, I would say I'm used to to having those conversations and people opening up and expressing how they feel and you know very very kind of you know deep things that people have have had on their mind for years you know there's one lady i remember she was from barbados i think she was maybe in her late 50s and she was saying in her 25 years of working she's never said the things that she said and that was emotional for me because i was like oh my gosh i'm facilitating this space i need to make sure that she is heard and the whole session kind of ends on a way where I think it's a positive experience for everyone. And I think that's the responsibility of a facilitator to, to yeah, get, get deep with people and, and make sure it's a safe space for people to open up, but also make sure that when, it, when that finishes, people go away with a sense of that was worthwhile and they're actually, they're actually happy and positive. And that's a really hard thing to do because it can <laughs> very easily go the other way. But I think over the last couple of months, it's probably been that but heightened um, because I think people have gone deeper. So the things we've heard have been, you know, people have been clearly emotional. They have been emotional. They've been crying. You know, the, the hurt, the, the rawness is there. You know, there's no mincing words anymore. And that period was quite difficult for me, obviously being a black man and thinking about, you know, race in that context of this guy looks like me and, my wife is really upset. My friends are upset. My family, my sister was distraught. So dealing with what's going on just as a human being and then having to go to work and be the person that is supposed to be holding the space. And that's really difficult when you're feeling quite emotional yourself and you're not quite sure how you feel about what's going on. You're trying to process it. And you're, you know, I remember I was facilitating a session on a Monday the Sunday, I just couldn't sleep because not because of the session, just because of what what was happening. I just couldn't sleep. So I'm on the Monday. I'm in the session. I'm knackered, <laughs> and I'm trying to, you know, remain focused and 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 say what I've got to say and explain to people why the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests in America are relevant over here and systemic racism and explaining how that works through our education systems and our healthcare and whatnot, and then explaining what it means for us as an organization, the disparities that we have, and then ultimately to you personally and how your behaviors impact that whole structure, you know? And doing that and bringing in a bit of history around slavery and reparations and, you know, talking about that stuff is, is really deep. You know, you have to go to a certain space to do that. And then be in a position where you open this floor up and people are crying at you, and trying to facilitate that, as I said, to make sure it's a good experience for people and, and there's an ending and all that sort of stuff is very, very tough, very tough. And I had, I had to take a couple of days off just to uh, think about my life, really, <laughs> and, whether I, and whether, I, whether I can do this, if I'm completely honest. Let's go, let's go a bit deeper on that. Like, you're talking about race day in, day out. Like, when you said 101, I was like, oh, my God, 101 race conversations in 20 months. That's intense. Mm. And now when you, when you look at it, I'm curious about your position in, in government and in politics, because I think within corporates, people say that um, that they don't really bring politics to work. 
and people feel like the corporate space is an apolitical space, but now we're seeing that it is a political space, but you're in a political space and you have been for a long time. Um, so how are you how are you feeling about this? Like, how are you finding support? Where are you going as a Black person who's contributing in these listening exercises and also facilitating them? Yeah, so we had, so there's a, a lady called Hayley Bennett, um, and we were just, I wrote a, a piece on LinkedIn I think it was maybe like three weeks after George Floyd was murdered and it was just, you know, very intense. And I just wrote about, you know, the need for self-care for black DNI professionals and, um, you know, what we should be doing in terms of just making sure we're taking time out and exercising and, and whatnot. Um, I'm actually getting a dog. We're getting a puppy next week, which I think is <laughs> taking our mind off things. So that's one of my coping mechanisms as well as, you know, doing more exercise and, and whatnot. But um, yeah, for me, I just wrote that piece. A lot of people responded, and then me and Haley thought she 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 was thinking about the same thing. We decided to do an event, so we just did it like you know within three days. It was on Zoom, and we had loads of people sign up. It was oversubscribed, and it was just a, a sharing session one Friday, and we were just talking about our our positions and and how we're feeling. And a lot of people were feeling quite used actually, and quite quite undervalued, and feeling like they're being rushed, and a sense of urgency, um, which is funny because. You know, racism has been there for ages. It's not going anywhere. So the need to do a strategy in two days is ridiculous. Um, we need to think through these things properly and have you know, consistent ev- effort over a period of time. But I think a lot of organizations got to, uh, oh, no, we need to respond. We need a strategy now. And it's that's, that's kind of ridiculous and counterproductive. So a lot of people were feeling tired. And for me personally, you know, the way I've done it is, as I said, you know, we're, we're getting our puppy and spend time with my daughter. DNI jobs are great because you feel really fulfilled on a normal day. Forget the last two months. But they can be intense. You know, we are dealing with lives here. We get the strategy and the actions. We're dealing with human beings who have been oppressed and hurt for a long time. And as I said earlier, that responsibility, I don't I don't shy away from that responsibility. I completely recognize it. And I feel quite privileged that I'm in a position now where I get to lead this for, you know, thousands or whatever it is of of ethnic minority people who have been in the position, you know, and that responsibility, I feel like we should, people in our position should not take that lightly, you know, because we are in a privileged position here where we can make a change. And that's what I wanted to ask about. I think that organisations are often used to dealing in moments and not movements. H- how are we going to make sure that this is the, the movement that it deserves to be, that it has to be for us to make change? So I think it's for people to put in, you know, put in place structural changes whether that's through resource to deliver things whether that is through you know new objectives that are core parts of people's work now you know what what are the so i would say for anyone in our our kind of positions what are the things that can make sure that the change is sustainable so it's all good doing a development program now that is great and you know we do them of course but actually securing resource for the next three years for example to to do development programs or to review process is is a good thing to do you know we've just introduced objectives into our director's core work so now race equality is part of the senior leader's core work now it's not a dni add-on and for me that is massive i'm not sure i know too many organizations that have done that you know so so i think that is that is a sustainable change that actually won't just be be for now this is a core part of work now and it's a shame that you know a black man had to get (laughs) new on and killed in, in america for that to happen but, you know, now is a moment where people are listening. You know, a lot of white people are, I think they've been traumatized by racism for the first time. And we have been tra- traumatized pretty much 
you know, I would say our whole lives or whenever you first experience racism, normally as a child, if you're an ethnic minority, but a lot of white people that I'm speaking to now, this is the first time where they may have lost, lost sleep over it, or they may have had headaches from this, or they may have, you know, really been upset and cried because of racism. And so that is, that has fueled a new level of motivation now. And I think it's going to be interesting, obviously, the you know, the recession's coming and a lot of companies are making cuts. So, so even just that, I think that just reinforces the point where we have to kind of secure things now. Talked about having a daughter and, and how much has being a father impacted the sort of work you do? I know that, I mean, it's been, for me, it's been absolutely fundamental to where I am now. I kind of, I work in diversity and inclusion because of my son, you know, because of him questioning the world around him and, and specifically questioning the working environment that I was in and being confused as to why he felt like the only one when he walked into a room, um, conscious of the fact that, you know, um, you want to drive change. Has that come about as being a father, do you think? I think so. I think so. Maybe not consciously so much, but I think since becoming a dad, you do, you know, I think as I was saying on the radio the other day, like you're more conscious of the world you know, you don't just live for yourself anymore. And the things that you see that are wrong, you don't, you don't just want to change them for yourself or because you think it's the right thing to do. You've actually got a little piece of you out in the world now that's a lot younger and is going to experience things. And, you know, so it's really interesting because I might be in a, in a workshop or just in the supermarket or whatever, and you talk to people, sometimes you might get along, sometimes you, you won't or whatever. But you realise that you you could both have kids and they're going to come across each other at, at some point in life, maybe. And, you know, we do have that responsibility to try and make it better for them. So I think I think I probably would have gone into this work anyway, if I'm completely honest. But I think being a dad does give it like that extra. I don't know. I've become more emotional since I've become a dad as well. Like, I think I, I care more about stuff. You know, I didn't cry for years as an adult i can't remember the last time i cried from being a child to being a dad i don't think i did if i'm completely honest and then yeah, becoming a dad it's like what the hell like <laughs> what, why why am i feeling differently now why is everything so much more raw exhaustion and, um, <laughs> yeah probably being tired yeah. <laughs> but, um, just feeling everything a little bit i feel like i feel stuff a bit more a bit deeper now um, yeah. and i worry now i never used to worry i never used to worry and my mom was a big warrior and now i worry about things and i'm like well, what, you know why? Like, why am i worrying about stuff but obviously i think it's just a natural thing isn't it when you've got a, you know i think someone described it as having um a piece of your heart running around out there you know that like you can't always you can't always control what happens to them and their experiences and that's quite a, a lesson to learn it took me a, a little while to learn actually so yeah i think it makes it massive it's massive being a dad does does play a big part in the work i do definitely so elliot can, can i ask you about um about fatherhood in particular from a race background so i find it really um eye-opening and i learn a lot when i speak to dads about how they feel and where they are but I, i've never really spoken to a black dad apart from my friend george who seems to appear on every single a call I'm on at the moment where he talks about fatherhood and what that's been like. Um, and I think I've also been victim of the stereotype that I've seen in play out in the media or in the news about ab absent black fathers and, and what that means and why that happens. And I, I'm just curious on your take on that because it's been rare for me to hear from a black dad. So yes, it's, um, it definitely adds another layer, right? 
I'll go to play groups and you know, not, not only are the only, the only man or one of the only men, but you're the only black person sometimes, depending on where I, where I was. And people would look at me with suspicion. They wouldn't quite know what to say. And they acted very weird, you know? And, and when you get to know them, you're just like, okay, cool. Like, you're just a person that probably have some stuff in common. But when you looked at me, you looked at me like I was an alien, you know? And I think you, 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 I've seen that. Less so now, I think, where maybe my daughter's a bit older and I don't know, maybe I'm less aware of stuff now. But in that early stages when you're, you're kind of hyper-aware, I definitely, definitely felt that. And I think like, being a, a black dad or a black parent, it comes with its own challenges because we have to deal with the stuff that all parents have to deal with, you know, worrying about a child being bullied or making sure they're, they're, they're learning and all that sort of stuff. But, but on top of that, we've got to protect them from racism, ultimately. We've got to, we understand that they're going to experience things. My daughter was only two when she um, came home and she was talking about her hair and why is her hair not like this and like that. And, and it's those sort of things that break your heart. You're like, you're a two-year-old and you've already seen that the norm is to have long blonde hair. And yours doesn't look like that. So now you want to put a, a put a put a blanket on your head and stuff like that. And it's those sort of things where you have to kind of work hard to make sure that they know, you know, they have a strong sense of identity and they know why they are the colour that they are the colour that they are and that they are beautiful and just because they normally see frozen in all the magazines with, you know, um blonde looking hair girls with long hair that they have a place in this world and they're just as valuable and you know all those subconscious messages that they get from either going to school or the media or magazines or tv or you know all those spaces you have to kind of try and control them as much as you can do you think elliot that because it's just really occurred to me you know we're talking about hair all the time at the moment in my house i've got a mixed race son as you know he's nine um and his hair's always been like the centerpiece of people's conversations when they meet him um but it occurred to me yesterday that obviously we're challenging ourselves, like you and I and, and, and people with children that are either black or mixed race, to have these conversations and to be considered and considerate about them. But is it enough if people, you know, if white people with white kids aren't having the conversation as well? Because I'm just thinking about like the books they read and the programs they watch, and until those things are in there, is it enough? Because why, why, why do our kids come home and ask these questions? Mm. it's got to be both it's got to be both and you know that call we did about mixed race parenting it was it was really powerful actually and i think obviously a lot of people have mixed race children but there was a lot of white parents not quite sure you know how to talk about race with their children and that's people that are in relationships with black and asian people so if you think of as a couple that are both white you know would probably have very very would a lot of people wouldn't know where where to start and i said so i think it's like you know whose responsibility is to educate people because i think yeah. sometimes you know is it our responsibility is it my responsibility you know yeah. like maybe if i had the energy and this is kind of like why i was saying you know having the responsibility of doing these jobs or being a community leader and leading leading an organization like it's a privilege and we should use our influence and power to try to do as much as that educating when we can yeah, we're all individuals and we have we have kind of thresholds, but but it needs to be done. And maybe it's the role of the media more widely as well, mm. you know, to do that. Not just not just grassroots. I, I, I want I really want people to understand as well that 
this stuff doesn't happen by osmosis just because we might be parents to black children or parents to mixed race children. Like I've really had to challenge myself to go, right, difficult conversation time. I've got to step up. You know, Jackson, my son, wasn't born with all of the knowledge that he needs to have about race and racism. N neither was your daughter. You know, you're having to really challenge yourself and push yourself to, to teach her the right way. And I think that there's an assumed level of awareness from, from people outside those family groups, like, oh, okay, like Jackson will get it all because he is mixed race or whatever. And it's just not true. Like we're having to work much harder. And I think that everybody needs to put that effort in as parents too. Well, I would, I would also add to that, that I, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking back to some of the things that my mum said and my dad said as first-generation Indians of how they process the world and actually how different that was in terms of their experience of racism was very blunt and often, I think, was hidden or pushed away in ways that didn't get processed, whereas second- and third-generation um, British people who are of colour are are realising that we've been through the system and we sort of know how it works to a point mm. of wanting more equality and deserving more equality, given that we have deeper roots in the country, um, given that. And I was just thinking, like, I, I lost my dad and I was at the cemetery over the weekend and I was thinking, his, like, he is in this country quite literally now and we have these roots here and... That means that we're, we're not going anywhere. Afua Hirsch keeps being asked, why doesn't she go back to wherever it is she came from? But when your roots are in this country, as a child of a migrant here, uh, there's a lot, and that's a lot for a parent to take on. And I'll get to a question in a second. My question is actually, like, both of you are dads. And when Ben talks about being a single dad, he talks about, and Ben, you said quite openly, like, there's a heralding or a hero, a heroing of single dads in in a different way to how single mums are processed by society but actually as a black dad it's it's different now I'm not a single black dad because that that might be slightly different but I, I find that I find that quite interesting like how people process fatherhood and what they expect to see whether you, when you're a black and then when, when you're sorry when you're a dad and then you add an intersect like single or race or gay or whatever it might be I think people just don't know because they don't know how to process fatherhood right now. I, I think a big part of that is about, uh, it is about media in the broadest context. So for example, um, single fatherhood, specifically widowhood is hero worshipped in film, you know? So if you go from finding Nemo, for example, the mum's dead within the first three minutes and the father's a hero. And if you look at films like uh, What Women Want, I think it's a, a really similar thing. But there's so many versions of it. Just go through every Disney film. The mother usually dies. Walt Disney's mum did. And it was like, it's the crux of every story. So then the single father, I mean, I'm not sure that Nemo's dad was white or not. <laughs> I can't be 100% sure of his, his ethnicity in human form. But still, it's like this stereotype. Like for, I, I saw it play out. I'm a single widowed white dad. As soon as I put myself out there on any platform, you know, there was, what an amazing dad. Mylene Class made a TV show about this, about it was uh, about single mums and the stereotype around that. And they just, they brought me into it as well and came and filmed here at my, at my home. And the perception is completely different. Like single mums are expected to just get on with it. 
they get a lot of flack because there's stereotypes around them. Single dads, if they're doing the job properly, if they're the single dad that actually raises their child, you know, kudos. There couldn't be more kudos. And I think it's so fascinating the way it it plays out depending on what you look like. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's um, a lot of work to do, you know. There's a lot of work to do in terms of changing the narrative around fatherhood. And through MFF, that's, that's one of the things that we try to do is represent like diverse fatherhood and show that actually, you know, the things that we do is not, is not unique. You know, it's just that, as you said, Ben, the media perception of dads is broadly up until maybe the last couple few years has been quite negative. So when you see a dad, whether it's a widow dad, single dad, black dad, that is involved and is a present parent, then that's met with surprise. And, you know, the same thing where, where you're describing, Ben, when you put yourself out there, people were surprised. I felt that way when I was just going to the corner shop for my daughter when she was six months old. You know, it's like kind of, this what's going on here? <laughs> this can't be real. So um, I think there's a lot of work to do to, to normalise it. And maybe, you know, maybe that kind of amazement is part of the journey. Maybe that's what has to happen to get to a point where we are looking at, and we're, we're, we're expecting dads just to play that role. You know, I don't think anyone's asking to be celebrated. We're just asking for us to be recognised as parents and be respected as, as parents as well. And I think the flip side is that, you know, we talk to a lot about dads in our community that will talk about the early stages of going to their their, their baby's appointments or, you know, the, the nurse is coming over to their house and the, the, all the questions are directed towards the mum. And, of course, there are questions that should be directed towards the mum, of course, because they've just been through childbirth right so that's that's very serious so there's sure they should get extra attention but you kind of seem like the the man is not even thought of as um an active parent who has an opinion who, or who knows anything about the baby i remember when we had our one of our midwives come to our house the all they wanted to ask about was domestic abuse um which of course is is is, is a thing but other than that there was no really really kind of sense of of your your parent now too you know or, how are you feeling or or what, what's your role in this or anything, you know, there's no acknowledgement of that. And I think that does carry on in, 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 in society as you become a parent and kids get older quite a lot. And I think there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to do. And, you know, we try to make sure that we are where we can putting out in the media or just in our community, normalizing just dads doing stuff that parents should do. And I think there has been lots of, lots of examples of great, dads and parents over the years but of course there are some stereotypes that can that, that do have some truth you know and i think that is changing and what we'll try to do is reflect that change especially when it comes to black fatherhood you know we can't deny that a lot of a lot of black children have been brought up without without their parents so an observation on the language elliot was there's almost like a coming out so when mm-hmm. i came out there was like a oh Oh, you're brown and and you're gay. That's different. Oh, you're Muslim. It's also different. Okay, and then it got a bit more more normalised. And it sounds like you you came out as like an active, involved black dad, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, not seen that." And maybe we need to have like black dad prize to make sure there's like a visible signal of of black dads. I, I wanted to hone in on um, being a man. And I'm doing that because I'm reading Akala's book at the moment where he talks about um, black men and the perception of black men. And he talks about um, Linford Christie and he talks about Frank Bruno and the, the, 
the high profile black men that there are in society and how they navigate life through sports. And so for you, who are the the black male role models that are out there? Does it necessarily need to be famous? Could also be within the network that you've set up and you're working on. But I'm curious about who are the black men who um, are really raising visibility and challenging norms and stereotypes? I'd just like to add as well, like what are the qualities? Because something that, you know, when we when um, Elliot and I were on the radio speaking to Judy Love, she talked about the pressure of being seen as a strong black woman and how that had actually caused her depression. So I think some of the people that Assad mentioned then would be seen as strong physically and mentally. And, but is that what you, you know, is that what we aspire to? I, I know that the qualities that I look up to in other people are certainly not those things, this, you mm. know, the physical. Yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're great questions. I think for me, I think look, look, in terms of looking out to people, it's very much close to home. Of course, I, you know, I appreciate and look up to, I say look up to, but I appreciate and, and uh, respect a lot of the black men that we're seeing in you know, sports and people like Raheem Sterling, I really respect for, for, for speaking out and being a young black man from the area that I was from, from Wembley, that um, has gone on to be at the top level and is speaking out against, against racism and is a great father. And, you know, so there's, there's people like that, that in the limelight that I definitely respect and I'm thankful for. I say like you know, more close to home, I'm lucky to have, I guess, through my work and networks, some really inspiring black men. So my dad is one, you know, he's, he's not necessarily a, a kind of out there vocal person, but I just respect his consistency. You know, I know, I know what I'm going to get with him. Um, and I, I really like that. And I try to do that too. I try to be as consistent as I, as I can with people. Like I don't want to be someone that you don't know what kind of mood I'm in you know, or you don't know if I'm going to react in a certain way. I really value consistency in people. So my dad is one of those people. And there's a guy called Mike Clark, who when I first started my job, he was in a similar role. And another guy called Rob Neal as well, who does similar work. And just seeing how, you know, they embraced me. Um, I think that sometimes we can get caught up in competition and another black man, younger, whatever. Um, but they embraced me. And I learned so much about, Yo, you can you make space for people, you know, um, share your contacts with people. Like, don't see people as a threat. Collaborate with people. Lift them up. Yeah, I, and I, I think that probably the same people that would have called you a pussy at school are the same people that would pull you aside privately now and tell you how strong they think you are. That's been my experience, you know. I think that, uh, well, <laughs> not literally necessarily, but I think that, you know, the people that I would have thought wouldn't have been supportive of me opening up and being as vulnerable as I have publicly have been the people that have come up and said, actually, that that's strength. And so I think that there is change. I think there's more change needed. But I think that, you know, the, the people that we looked up to in society in like the 70s and 80s have changed quite a lot now. I think that, you know, the I think there's been deserved plaudits for people like prince harry and william and stuff that they're doing in mental health i think you know like rio ferdinand I, you know i actually saw the strength it took that man to open up uh, not just about not just as a widowed man about the death of his wife but as a, as a mixed race widowed guy from peckham you know with uh you know who'd always been told that strength was in kept inside and that it was a physical thing i think to break down that barrier i think has been so incredibly powerful i can't think of anyone better than him to have 
taken that issue on and done it at the time and uh, you know and long may we see more role models like that um elliot we um have been talking about your website which is musicfootballfatherhood.com it's been described as the dad's version of uh, of mum's net is that is that an accolade you enjoy i think so <laughs> it's a good opener right <laughs> i don't know what your views on mum's net no, it's, it's, i was actually worried that we're gonna get sued after that but i met justine who's the founder of mum's net um shortly after and she was saying it's great for her too so i was like cool that's that's good it works for, works for us all but yeah, a lot of the stuff we've been talking about in terms of narratives around fatherhood, you know, diverse fatherhood, gender equality, that's what we champion. You know, we want to create spaces for for men and dads to have open conversations about fatherhood. So, you know, that, that event that you were part of, Ben, thanks so much for being part of that around mixed, mixed parenting. Yeah, that we had an event around football and the future of football last week on Monday with QPR and with Watford and Portsmouth and the FA um, a couple of weeks before that something around black lives matter and talking to children about race so yeah we've got a, a blog it's a really you know popular blog one of the most popular blogs in the uk for, for dads uh, we have events and, and a podcast as well and yeah i'm really i'm just you know really proud that something that i started as, as myself just talking about my you know the birth experience and what the hell was going on quickly realized that you know other men and other dads wanted that space too and um really proud man i'm just so proud of the team we've got a team of, of 20 writers an editor social media manager like i'm so excited about the stuff we that, that we do and the platforms where we're able to create our next event's going to be around the future of work and families and we do a lot of work with fathers and and gender equality recognized by the united nations a couple of years ago for that which is amazing but we are at the forefront of that you know so we've launched we've launched some research with the university of birmingham and the house of commons in february and that was to look at fathers in the workplace and create a fathers in the workplace toolkit. Done some stuff with Santander and Joe Swinson, who was the head of the Lib Dems at the time, a report called Equal Lives Report with business in the community. And that looks at kind of equal equal lives and care at home and, and at work, brings in stuff like the gender pay gap and and the benefits of supporting dads in the workplace to children's outcomes, to to mental health for men, to actually business outcomes in terms of retention of talent as well. So yeah, check us out, musicfootballfatherhood.com, join the mailing list. Um, yeah, really, really happy to have more more dads join the community. Um, I've just got one final two-part question, Elliot, which is um, I'm conscious that you have uh, not just led um, a lot of work in, in terms of race and fatherhood, but that you've listened to an awful lot of people recently too. And I'd love to be able to share maybe just the the two things that you think businesses need to really quickly learn about race and the two things that we should be teaching that we should all be teaching our children about race regardless of their ethnicity yes i think when it comes to business i think um first and foremost make sure you've got the right people leading the efforts i think is is the number one i think you know without having not just the right people but the the resource that, that, that it's their job um, and that they're capable, that they have the right level of emotional intelligence, that they have the maturity, uh, the the learning to, to do that, I think is is really key. And I think we're in a da- danger now where there's a lot of kind of work being done by maybe teams or people who don't, who can't grasp the issues. And when I say grasp the issues, I'm not, I'm not gonna say they are, they are from a particular race, being ethnic minority helps, of course, but I'm talking more about their, their them as a as a person because this work is really tough. 
it's not i know it's sexy at the moment and it's buzzword and whatnot this work is hard work it's not easy you know like it's you go to emotional levels every day that is probably not good to go to on a consistent basis right and it's not easy and that these people need support and they need help they need they need to know that they're backed by an organization so if if companies are serious about that they need to need to know that this work is not easy and it then the people need it doing it need help and need support um i'll say the second thing is is about probably race but you know more generally is is make it a core part of your work you know don't make it a an add-on don't make it a dni thing that's that's a that's a good to have make sure it's on your balance scorecard it's part of your kpi your senior leaders are performance managed um and, and as part of those performance managed conversations they have to show that they are delivering on race actions without that then it's always going to be a, a nice to have which gets pushed off the table when something happens you know when something more more pressing happens so yeah i would say that they're the two kind of, i would say high level things to get started um and then underneath that there's a million things that we could talk about all day <laughs> and then on the family side of things just two quick things that uh, we need to all be responsible for teaching our kids so teaching our children i think i would say you know 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 your child know you know understand that obviously we need to teach them but let them be children as well you know we don't want to burden them with our, our woes when sometimes actually they just need to be kids and they might be okay not knowing so much right now um but i'd say the second thing is you know to, to tag on to that to educate yourself to know your history to know the history to 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 understand where you live and where you are and what challenges they may come across listen to other parents think about your own upbringing you know try and be prepared for the challenges that they may have now or in the future and equip yourself to to be in the best position to deal with them Right, Elliot, here we are. Final question. What do you make of the term BAME? Oh, gosh. <laughs> My wife always says um, BAME must fall, right? I think it's on its way out. I think not just as a term, you know, the term is the term, whatever. It's, it's the fact that we're grouping everyone together and these people have very, very different experiences. You know, normally it's white at the top, black at the bottom, and everything else in between. That's been shown through deaths of COVID. That's been shown in education outcomes, in in, in annual pay in household household incomes you know it's, it's it's like that across the world in many countries so it's unhelpful sometimes to to uh, group people that are non-white together and it hides some of the statistics around the lack of progression for black people but at the same time you know it's i i believe that we need to move forward together and black asian and multi-ethnic people do have shared experiences too so it's a sticky one i don't necessarily feel like oh we shouldn't you know the term itself is the problem and i don't know what the solution is the quick solution in terms of the name i think in terms of the work underneath it's about getting into detail about what we're trying to address in society and in, in the workplace which is hard work and again goes back to my previous thing about when you got when you're doing this when you're tackling it make sure you got people that understand those nuances and can address them and can work through that very sensitive issue with senior leaders and with, with, with staff as well Elliot, I've just had, you've just given me this vision of us creating an optician's chart where it's literally white W at the top and B at the bottom and everything else in between. As a, as a way to highlight what you've just said, I think it would be, um, I think it'd be quite a powerful metaphor. Right. Well, thank you, Elliot. It's been lovely to chat to you about a meandering conversation that went from government to dogs to 
black lives and fatherhood. So thank you for taking the time. It's been great chatting to you. Making diversity everyone's business. What a really lovely guy. And and so interesting to hear from someone that's right in the thick of it at the moment. Like we keep hearing that um, organisations shouldn't be leaning on the people that have been most impacted by, you know, say the Black, Life, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. You know, everyone keeps saying, don't go to the people that are most emotionally impacted. And here's Elliot talking from a personal point of view as a black man, as a family man, and someone that's in those kind of open forum exercises, listening to people, trying to safeguard them at the same time, but like really bringing his whole self to work. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also 101 conversations is the number that he's had. That's intense. And to know how to facilitate them and to do that consistently and then be part of the subject matter must be really intense. So I, I just hats off to Elliot, like what a what a strong guy and also how refreshing it was to hear someone be so vulnerable and talk about what he had seen. And I guess the thing that really stuck for me was this whole idea that he came out as an active black dad who was really involved in his life with his kid and he wanted to be and the difficult birth. I think hats off, like it's definitely something that I hadn't considered. And I think... I know that I'm going to be looking around, looking at dads and looking at black dads, thinking, God, respect to you, that you're back yeah. a stereotype. It's that whole other layer, isn't it? You know, like, I remember my brother saying to me, when he used to take his then little girls swimming at the, at the weekend, he'd say he got looks like a, a divorcee. Oh. And, you know, he always felt that, like, oh, you've got the kids for the morning. Now, you know, listening to Elliot talk about that as a black man, you know, as if, like, have you got your kids at all? Like it's some sort of surprise. You know how easy it is to fall into those stereotypes and how dangerous it is. And I, I really appreciate what you said about him being strong then. And I was about to say, is he strong or is he vulnerable? But you followed up and said it straight away. Yeah. I think that just that openness to, you know, redefining strength is is what's been fascinating about talking to Elliot and people like him recently. Yeah, and I think it's great having these conversations because you see things from different viewpoints and then you also see where the links are and you see how what he's going through can be felt by others but there's a very specific stigma upon black men with their mm. kids and i think fatherhood in and of itself is going through and you talk about it a lot it's going through a change in how people see themselves and it's fascinating i'm watching mrs america on bbc iplayer at the moment and that's all about equal rights and the role of men and women and then mm. you think just how far we've come in so years it's quite impressive yeah, it, it's really interesting, actually, isn't it? Because I think that those stereotypes we're probably thinking about more and more at the moment because we're talking about the, you know, the stereotypes of black men, but we're hearing a lot about the stereotypes of black women as well. You know, black women being spoken about as, you know, strong black women, if they show any strength or like sassy and, you know, bossy or boisterous or things like that in the workplace. It's just like things that wouldn't be said different. We use different adjectives if the colour of someone's skin's different. And it really puts a burden on those, those parts of society. Yeah, absolutely does. So there we are. Another episode of The Speak Easier, this time with Elliot Ray. If you aren't following us already, you can find us at, at underscore unmistakables and tune in for the next one. Speak Easier podcast by the Unmistakables.